0: Yes,
1: Week notice podcast, poison the well. Let's fucking do this. Yo, yo, yo. What up, everyone? You are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. My name is Dana B. I'm your host. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And today on the podcast, we have Chris Hornbrook. Chris is a legendary drummer from the legendary hardcore band Poison the Well. Yeah, baby. Come on. Yes. It was so cool to talk to this guy, man. I mean, for half a second, I was a shitty drummer. As opposed to being a drummer at all. That doesn't mean I got better at drums. (laughs) I just never got past being a shitty drummer, okay? But during that time, you know, I started playing the double bass pedal. I had some fun with that, and Chris was a huge reason why. and, And, you know, their album, Opposite of December, was really my bridge from, you know, other types of music to hardcore music it really really introduced me it, it was my gateway drug <laughs> for hardcore music basically and that album was is fucking fire you know everything aside from just the music itself you know because with hardcore music with the screaming you, you don't know what they're saying like, well, hey do you, well, put it this way do you remember back in the day when you would buy a cd you know yeah, they used to have these things, for all you youngins, called compact discs. It's like almost a little mini record, but it's digital, and you you put it in the stereo. And But with that would come a, a little booklet, and in that little booklet, there was some artwork, and there were lyrics to all the songs, and there was information on the band and where they recorded it, and all sorts of cool stuff. And With hardcore music in particular, but really any CD I would buy, you, you put it in the stereo. You op- I've talked about this a million times, but you know what? I will continue to do so. Come on. <laughs> Seriously. But with hardcore music, for me, I used to read those lyrics over and over because I didn't know what the fuck they were saying. They're screaming. I knew I liked the music. That's all I knew. I, I still liked the vocals, too. But I wanted to know what they were saying. And then with Poison the Well, opposite of December in particular... I'm reading these lyrics to this, this you know, screaming and just heavy, heavy music. But it's like it's like these love songs to it. It's poetry. There's heartbreak. I mean, this shit is fucking... It's poetry. But before we get into this conversation, I must tell you, the Two Week Notice podcast is proudly brought to you by Furnace Fest people. Yeah, baby. Here's the deal. This is coming up really fast. All right. September 24th, 25th, and 26th in Birmingham, Alabama. Headliners are Killswitch Engage, Taking Back Sunday, Under Oath. But that doesn't even scratch the surface of how epic this is going to be, all right? 91 bands in total. Other bands include Caven, in, Converge, From Autumn to Ashes, Thursday, The Bled, Beloved, Andrew W.K., Further Seems Forever, Poison the Well, Touche Amore, Stretch Armstrong, Me Without You, Piebald, I'm going to be there with Piebald. You can see my dumbass play cowbell on stage. Andrew WK, Unearth. And speaking of Unearth, uh, Buzz McGrath of Unearth has been on this podcast, all right? If you want to be a part of this festival, you have two options. First of all, I need to let you know, three-day tickets sold the fuck out. I warned you, I've been telling you for weeks, they're sold out. However, not to worry, here's the deal. Single-day tickets are still available for all three days. But there is another way, and this is my favorite way, and I totally would be doing this if I wasn't already going to be on tour with Piebald. Furnace Fest needs volunteers, people. All you gotta do, basically, is put in a little bit of hard work in exchange for a really good time, and you'll be there for the whole festival and get to enjoy the rest of it. Just do it. We need people. It'll be an experience you'll never forget, and you'll get to see all these insane bands. 91 bands, don't miss out. Come on. All right. If you are seriously interested, the link to the volunteer application is in the description of this podcast episode. All right. Other than that, hey, if you like what you hear, do me a huge favor. Do yourself a huge favor. Hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. There's a lot of exciting things coming up. Not to mention I got people from the bands Unearth, Bury Your Dead, Under Earth, Ozma, Atreyu. That's just to name a few. Hit that subscribe button and go back and check out the backlog. I promise there's something you'll like. Probably a lot of things you'll like. I've had some killer guests. Chris Hornbrook, thank you so much. You're a legend. Enjoy. today we have legendary drummer of the band Poison the Well Chris Hornbrook how you doing man
0: good man how you doing
1: i'm doing great this is truly an honor you've been one of my favorite drummers for one of my favorite oh, thank bands you. Uh, what town are you in right now
0: uh, uh long beach i live in long beach california
1: nice so you're originally from miami is that correct
0: i'm not particularly from miami like jeffrey's from miami but i'm from fort lauderdale which is the the largest city north of miami
1: what's that like an hour son- drive or so
0: uh it's been a while since I've been there but if I were to guess it's probably like a good 25 to 35 minute drive between Miami and Fort Lauderdale Uh, and that's I don't know how that you fix track like calculate traffic into that traffic might be a whole other animal in Florida now I haven't I haven't been back in forever so and we're talking to my parents they still live there they're talking about how traffic is bad but like traffic compared to what you know like california's traffic is just next level the worst next next level dude garbage
1: you know i'm a boston guy people complain about boston but i go out there and i understand i might be biased because you know Mm -hmm. the the media or whatever portrays boston to be the worst but i'm telling you man where you're at i think it's i think it's the worst the
0: worst yeah and it's kind of become like a like a point of conversation like oh you live in california like (laughs) traffic's really bad there it's like yeah i know i mean i don't work a normal job per se so like i don't really have to deal with it but if i so happen to have like a recording session or like a rehearsal that falls within like that you know four o'clock to seven eight o'clock then yeah it sucks it sucks leaving if you have to just leave around that time
1: right when when did you move to uh, long beach
0: I've been in Long Beach for about three years. Uh, I've been in California for a little over 11.
1: Right on. Oh, cool, yeah. man. Well, geez, uh, we have a shitload of fan questions, maybe the most eh. I've ever had. So I don't want to rush things, but I always want to nah. start. I always want to start with like where th- things started, you know? So yeah. go back to like, if we can, growing up in Fort Lauderdale, right? and you know if you played sports you know if any school yeah. memories come up and what eventually led to becoming a drummer and a musician
0: yeah I mean growing up in Florida um especially in the early 80s it was not a Fort Lauderdale in particular so I grew up in a suburb of Florida called uh Lauderdale and uh, it's of a lower socio class of people you know of all of all colors essentially and um I grew up there and my dad played music. Both my parents were, you know, big music connoisseurs. source. So just growing up, only child, I had a tendency to go sort of inwards and I picked up different things. Like I started playing guitar when I was seven, I didn't really like it that much. And then I played saxophone at one other point and like they were cool, but it never really spoke to me. And it wasn't until I, I, i basically a kid in the neighborhood that I grew up in had a drum set for sale. So I went and I asked my dad if I could have $200, if I could buy it. I don't know how he agreed to it, but he did. And he bought the drum set for 200 dollars And and that was like the beginning of the love affair. Like I I really kind of fell in love with with playing playing drums from just from that. And um
1: What year are we talking now? How old are you?
0: Well, I was twelve years old. Uh, mm-hmm. so it had to be I'm 40, a little over 40. Terrible with math. That was twenty eight years ago. Uh 93, 92, 93. Cool. I'm not good with math, so I could be completely Media. off on that. That's right. okay. But yeah. you were
1: twelve, right?
0: I was twelve. Yeah, I was twelve. So I was probably sixth grade. I remember fifth, sixth, or seventh grade somewhere, somewhere around there. And um, did you take lessons? Yeah, I initially did. There was a there was a music school that I went to. You go for an hour, and they made you read out of a book and all this sort of stuff. And I don't really remember anything from it. To be quite honest, I was just more concerned with like listening to music, music that I liked and emulating that and just playing songs and you know emulating the players that i grew up on that i was like wow this is cool these guys sound awesome this is like kick-ass you know
1: so something must have felt different i'm guessing right away because you said you tried guitar and you're like eh. you tried saxophone you're like meh. so what was different about drums right away
0: oh super primal it was it's just a very primal instrument uh the aggressiveness i really liked i have a my i'd say more my mom's side have a more uh, aggressive tendencies if you will and even though I'm, I, I consider myself like a really relaxed kind of mellow guy you know those they're kind of baked into me so when you get to play you know heavy drums or heavy songs on a drum set you got to get the release of that so that that appealed to me just smashing the shit out of the drums and just like yeah. taking my taking my aggressions out on it but um but yeah, that's that's kind of where it really started. I was just very focused on like playing, and emulating what I heard at the time because I thought what you know when I was listening to like bands that were popular, like all the early '90s uh, Seattle stuff, was like the that was kind of like my my generation, you know. So picking up on that was like whoa, this is fucking cool! Like holy shit! Like you know, great songs and great bands and like noisy and chaos and all that sort of shit. So, but that's that's really really where it started. And, like, getting into that and then slowly transitioning into, like, the punk rock stuff that was happening. Like, all the early Epitaph record stuff was really cool. Like, No Facts and Bad Religion. All those sort of, you know, the the bands that were out during uh, the early to mid-90s on Epitaph. Because it was a new thing. You know, I went to go. I went from listening to, like, you know, Nirvana and Soundgarden and that sort of world. And then suddenly, you know, you have bands. Or, you know. It's just, this just flow of energy that i was you know as like a as a 14 15 16 year old kid you're like what is that holy shit that's fucking cool it was just so intense and aggressive and angry it really appealed to me
1: and you had started playing drums at a young age so you were already playing right so you had you know your basic beats so then when you're hearing this, no effects and like shit like that it yeah like you said blew your mind so, yeah, I just didn't, okay. I didn't
0: understand, it, I didn't really understand it. You're like, oh, how, how fucking fast are they playing? And yeah. like, obviously it wasn't like uh, the way those bands would st- like sing and write songs. It was just its own thing. So for me, it was just like, holy shit, you know, like, God, damn, this is like, this is wild. And uh, it just kind of, that kind of sucked me in. But that, I looked at those bands as like entry level bands, uh, digging deeper down to other kind of punk bands that like, really kind of as you get older i feel like at least for me like those bands now like no disrespect but like it's just not as appealing to me mm-hmm. whereas if i listen to more like old school punk that's a little bit more appealing you know even though i don't really i can't say that i put the records on all the time i be like a black flag song comes up i'd rather listen to that than no effects and it's like nothing against no effects it's just my tastes have just kind of changed and went more towards that That angry vibe rather than the the quick angry vibe, you know, (laughs) as being like an old being an old dude now.
1: No, there's nothing wrong with that, man. So uh, keeping up with the timeline here. So when did you eventually, you know, do you remember like early bands? Obviously, we're going to lead up to the Mm -hmm. Poison the Well stuff. But so like what other when's the first time you jammed with people and how did you eventually, you know, get into all that?
0: It started with this kid that a friend of mine knew, this, this dude named Jeremy. And he played guitar and he was kind of into the same stuff, like, you know, Nirvana and Green Day and blah, blah, blah. So we would just kind of get together and like jam on parts of those songs. Like, I don't think we ever fully completely played a song, but he would figure out how to play the bass line to like Longview of Green Day, or he'd figure out like, like Lithium and stuff like that from like Nirvana. Like, we'd figure out bits and pieces and we, you know, we'd maybe play like the intro and the verse or the intro verse, verse and the chorus but like, I don't really ever think we ever made it through. I was jamming with him and I was jamming with this other dude named Mark that went to the the school that I went to and, you know, trying to play, trying to get it going. And I just feel like over time, it just, you know how it is. It's just like, it's fun for some people and some people are a little bit more serious about it. And like, oh, those two dudes are doing their thing now. And, you know, I keep in relative contact both and they're super cool, but it was like, I went from that to playing I was jamming with those bands in high school and we played like a few random shows there was nothing really crazy like you know playing for your basically for your family and for some friends you know there's like 15 people in the crowd and uh i somehow got hooked up with this punk band called last minute which is a little bit more like old school afi and like kind of like that sort of vibe and uh from there from that band uh, the bass player of that band was ryan premack who was a guitar player for Poison the Well. So that's how I transitioned into the whole Poison the Well thing was that I was playing in that band and him and the old singer for Poison the Well, this guy named Ari Lair, were talking about like, hey, let's create like a melodic hardcore band. And then I think Ryan just like, yeah, I'm in a band with this dude and I think he could do it. So he just asked me to come along. And that was just, that was really the beginning of it. There was just a lot of luck, a lot of right place at the right time, a lot of like, I guess, ambition and being young and also being tapped into like what was cool and what was going on you know like it was a little bit of all of that right and um i mean that's really how it happened it was just like high school bands high school bands then kind of a semi-established punk band in the, the sort of south florida world and then from that was into poison the well but like right off the right off the rip like poison the well wasn't exactly a band that like people cared about you know, from the jump, right? it was like, we started off, we were all, so the original, original, original lineup was um, this guy named Shane Halpern singing, Ari layer, so we had two singers, Ryan Premack, this guy named Russ Saunders playing second guitar, this dude named Andrew Abramowitz playing bass, and then me on drums. That was like the early, early incarnation of Poison in the Well. And then eventually they kicked me out just cause at the time, like my style wasn't really working for what they were doing. They got this other guy named Dennis Payson. he was in for a few months. Didn't work, but they recorded a 12-inch record as An Acre Lost. I forget who they did the split with. I still have the 12-inch as just like a memento of like, you know, all the stuff that either related. Because I do that. I I save 12 inches or singles of bands that either I've played on the record, i played on a single, or maybe I didn't play on the record because it was like programming, you know, because we're the age we live in now, like things are programmed. But I toured the record shit like that yeah it means something to you yeah yeah there's some sort of connection to it but uh he was in it they recorded he got kicked out and when he got kicked out i remember having the conversation with the singer Ari of like i guess you'd say these days rebranding hey let's rename the band you're coming back into it we're gonna go re-record these songs um and that is essentially what became the first poison the well ep distance uh makes hardcore fonder yeah those five songs like that was like the first thing yeah. And that was like, yeah, that was that lineup. That was yeah, it was like me, Russ, Ryan, Ari. Um, I do believe that they also kicked out Shane, or either Shane quit. And then we got this dude named uh Dwayne Hussain to to sing scream. And yeah. then that was that was that. So yeah, Ari, Dwayne, Russ, myself, Andrew, and Ryan.
1: And and then that that was, early... I mean, that's early. That started with the grain of salt, right?
0: Yeah, that was yeah. that, that was that record, yeah. That EP.
1: And what year did and, but, that come up?
0: 98, 97, 98. Okay. Sorry. I think I was say? a junior. I was either like a I think it was a j- sophomore or junior in high school.
1: That came out when you were in high school. I never knew that. Yeah. Holy
0: shit. Man. Which is cool. And we would do tours, like we'd go and we'd play like weekend shows, or we'd go tour like winter vacation or summer vacation or whatever, like whatever way we can like get out, and like go yeah. do the tour, we would. So and that, and that was that I think that was actually sophomore year, because then after that, dudes started leaving like uh, Andrew went away to college. Uh, I think Russ quit. He didn't really like touring. If I remember correctly, uh, we kicked out Dwayne just because it wasn't working. The two singer thing. Sure. And that's where we kind of started solidifying. Like We got Derek Miller to come and take Russ's spot. And, you know, we got this dude, Alan Lansman, to come play bass. And then for a while, it was Ari, and then we found Jeff. Jeff was singing in, like, a local hardcore band called Defy. Okay. And we'd go see him, and, like, oh, this dude's voice is really awesome. Like, he would probably work really well for what we're doing. And then for a while, it was Ari and – I'm sorry, Ari and uh, Jeff. And then eventually, we kicked out Ari, and then that became, like, the core the core initial lineup of Poison Wild was yeah, myself, Derek, Ryan, and Jeffrey. That was, like, the – because after that, we kicked out Alan and – we had like a revolving cast of people. Eventually, Derek left. Now the core of the band is just basically myself, Brian, and Jeff, and we have our be- our bass player Brad as well.
1: But you've been there from the be- the very
0: beginning, Chris. So pretty much, I've I've, there's, I've played every single show with with Poison the Well as Poison the Well, right? Like not a not a naked loss, but as like the incarnation of Poison the Well, which is very funny because eventually, I, recently, I stumbled upon the band's Wikipedia, and there's this like a plethora of people that I have no who fucking it's idea. Like the who whole
1: timeline are. thing?
0: Yeah, and yeah. I was like, okay, I remember him, yeah, okay, him. But there's, like, dudes that were, like, not even in the band. Like, there's, apparently there's three people listed as drummers for Poison the Well, which is inaccurate. There's only one that's been me. Yeah, but if the, you do a Poison Well and a Naker an Lost, then it was me and this dude, Dennis. But there's some, like, third dude that I have no idea who this guy is that's listed at, like, the beginning. And who the like, fuck who writes the fuck that shit? I have no idea. And then there's also too, there's a bunch of people <laughs> listing as tour musicians because Jeffrey got sick on a tour right. and we had like a revolving cast of people singing songs and like they're, like listed as like touring musicians. It's just so ridiculous. I don't know why someone would go on there and like intricately, play. to me what constitutes either being a band member or a touring musician is like either you're in the fucking band, which right. we've had had a bunch of people that were in the band that legitimately should be up there and then there's other people that like, yeah, you hire they, you pay them a rate and they come on tour. But like people that guest and shit like that, like that's not very accurate. That's like saying that like on a tour that I did with a band, like, I played percussion. The band I was in, we played percussion with Jane's Addiction. By that logic, I should be an ex member of Jane's Addiction, which <laughs> is preposterous. Which is totally preposterous, you know? <laughs> like totally. It, that doesn't constitute being a hired guy or being in the band like trust me there's a plenty of legitimate dudes that should be on there as like band members Mm -hmm. and as hired guys but like I do have nothing but gratitude for it because of that because if that record never would have happened like I don't know if my life would have panned out the way it did and yeah there's been ups and downs of course that's part of any life but I feel like I'm doing what I want to do and I'm pursuing pursuing moving up the ladder you know being a musician and being a drummer and doing all that sort of stuff and I've been fortunate enough to be in a band like Poison the Well and have myself be a part of it and be like you know I own a share of Poison the Well like I had something to do with with it and then kind of gone on from that and played with like a multitude of other different artists and bands like that I don't know if Opposite didn't come out like I don't know I don't, I don't even know if that to do I would have been able to do this you know I don't know if I would have been on tour like being able to see the world and make records and meet the people that I meet and like doing all the cool shit that I'm doing now. It's like, would that even been a reality? Because it's like that window doesn't yeah. always open, you know, like when it does, you have, if you see it, you have to just fucking jump through it as quick as you can. Cause that shit can close. Like, yeah you know, but like I said, it's, I think it's more just like a young kids kind of being hip to like, what's cool at the time for like heavy music, that stuff is kind of boiling to the surface in, in its own way. And just the, like the right sound, the right look, the right place at the right time that's how i kind of look at that record for us and yeah, yeah nothing but gratitude for it
1: Yeah, that album was a very big deal not to take away from you know tear from the red you come before you and, and but, every everything else you guys have done but yeah. yeah that album for me just that's just a personal i'm like that is one of my sure yeah till this day emotional well, um, connection then yeah, absolutely it's, it's, it's a masterpiece is it cool if we jump into some fan questions because i got a lot of them i yeah. want to make sure we get through them all okay of course yeah let's. So w- we put this out on instagram through your account okay. and also so i joined the furnace fest facebook group and mm-hmm. i put it on there and holy fuck a lot of people responded so you got some awesome f- fans coming to see you at furnace fest all right but we're gonna start okay yeah. instagram questions this is um i come drums what kind of china did you use on opposite of december
0: if i were already- to Guess it's either one of two. It's either a Zildjian Oriental 18 inch China or it's an 18 or 19 inch Sabian AAX China. It's either one of those two. I, for the life of me, can't can't remember. Like, I remember other things. Like, I remember I used like an Ed Shaughnessy ride. I used two Z Zildjian, which is Sabian. I don't know if they make it anymore. I used two 18 inch Z crashes. I think I use AAX 14 inch rock eye hats, and I'm drawing a blank on the China.
1: <laughs> what kind it's of China warm... do you use today?
0: Uh, I use a Zildjian 19 inch K China, but I don't use it all the time. I only use it when I play with Poison Well and like Poison Well in certain eras. Right. Like if you play more older stuff, then it's kind of required. If you play more newer stuff, it's less required.
1: All right. So this is actually a buddy of mine. It was through Instagram, though. My buddy, uh, my buddy Devin. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's going to be at Furnace Fest. He wants to know. This is a two-part question. <laughs> will, you chug okay. a, will you chug a beer with him at Furnace Fest is part A. And part B, how many takes of the legendary nerdy intro did it take to get the China perfect?
0: Okay, the beer, First of the, the first question, I don't know if I'm the guy because I don't really drink. I'm not straight edge or anything like that. I just don't really drink a lot. So I can't promise it, but if he catches me at the right moment, <laughs> it's not and it's not an impossibility. Number one. Number two, all the drums were opposite of December were done in like a day. Like we didn't have a lot of time. Like that entire record, I think, it was recorded in a week or a little bit under of a week because it was just young kids and we didn't have the cash. Like that's we, insane. I, we Yeah, we recorded it. Wow. We were supposed to put it out with good life records. They were supposed to pay for it. We understood what our time was and like what we can do being kids in high school and so on and so forth so it's like yeah everybody just kind of went and did their thing as quick as possible and it was also pre-pro tools like the guy we were recording with was like a, was like a one inch reel so what was there was what was there and it's uh,
1: unbelievable it makes it more special for me to hear you say well,
0: that, be honest. it gives it gives a lot of personality right so yeah. like all the imperfections are the things that like make it memorable because on the flip side if you listen to like heavy if you listen to, to say that style of music now everything is so pro tools tooled out and so corrected and all everything is so perfect that it lacks like a like a, a unique character quality to it you know it's just like imperfections is what makes things cool and it makes, makes it hard ma- yeah it gives it makes it interesting like when you have something and like it's edited the shit and you remove the feel from the drums and the feel from the guitar like everything you know everything is super corrected then like what's the point of even having like a band What's the point? You know, it's like, why don't you just program everything? And like, that's it, you know, like human, each person bringing with their personality, how that translates to their instrument. If you get the right combination, that's what makes shit really cool and unique. Not like fixing everything.
1: Absolutely, man. That's a great answer. All right. So another Instagram one, this is from at Neil T. Rodriguez, Mm -hmm. 126. Another uh, like kind of musician nerd question. I'm liking these. What is the blend of the room slash closed mics on You Come Before You and has that changed with your sound today?
0: Okay. The blending. So I don't remember what was used. So we tracked so we tracked the drums for You Come Before You at the at the old Sound City before it had gotten bought out. And like cool. Dave Grohl bought the board, put it at six of six. Like it was like the original kind of you know yeah. setup at Sound City. The room was fairly, you know, a fairly decent sized room, not too big, not too small. If people are curious about that they should watch Sun City documentary because, you know, they talk about that. Mm-hmm. We're pretty spaced here. I think they were using a set of Sony condenser microphones. If I saw them, I could be like, those are it. But I don't know the model off the top of my head. And knowing how those two dudes work, the, the, the Swedish guys that we worked with, uh, Pele Hendrickson and Esko Lovestrom, when they brought in that room, it was to emphasize like the space. Like, so if the drums are kind of by themselves or I guess I'm trying to, think of the moments on the record. Like, it's almost kind of like they distorted the shit out of the room at times. So when, you know, if there's like on Zombies when playing that, that there's a break. That's a room, that's the Sound City room, but also to the kick and snare. They took, they had PA stacks and they, at their studio in Sweden, they would send the kick and the snare down. So they'd have a, a condenser at the bottom of the stairwell. And then they have the bass cab and they would send it down to kind of give this like, I guess you'd say like a, like a re like, um, what is it the term? Like a, like a room. Like I know a lot of uh, record or old school studios will do it. Like, I think it's a plate room or some shit like that. I totally butchering it, but yeah, they'll have it where they just send out your snare into a room and it's just open. And it just gives this like cavernous reverb effect. I I mean, to be honest, the, the blend, I'd have to look at those sessions, which I don't have, but just listening to it, they're there, you know, when there's space, there's definitely the room, but when the room is brought up, it's, heavily distorted, you know, or heavily compressed. And then times the kick and snare when they did that like that sort of hallway trick. That was definitely to just this uh to to put those on a side chain and fucking like crush the shit out of them to make them just sound distorted and just huge. Also made me had to think because we recorded that record in 2002 So it's almost 20 years ago that I'm trying to like recall (sighs) like having to walk around that to go downstairs to the lounge or like tracking drums in, in sound city. And like, I remember walking by the mics and seeing Sony as like the room mics and be like, I didn't know Sony make microphones. Like, like having to like right. recall those memories.
1: It took you back.
0: Yeah. It took me back a little bit. All
1: right. Great question. All right. So this is all people from furnace fest to It's all. it's cool. going to be a good crowd to see. What day are you guys playing? I think it's Saturday or Friday.
0: We did. Yeah. We chose Saturday because it was the, yeah. Heavy day was Friday and it seemed like it was like jam packed. Yeah. And like Saturday seemed a little bit more like some heavy bands, but it was a little bit more of a mixed bag. So we thought Saturday would be better for us to kind of stick out a little bit more.
1: I really wish you were playing Sunday for selfish reasons. Cause I'm with pie and we're going to be playing Sunday and I wanted, to uh, yeah. guys, but uh, well, I, I actually, I gotta say, I've seen your mm-hmm. band twice, bro. I, I don't know how only twice, but whatever it mm-hmm. was with Thursday at the Worcester okay. Palladium, I want to say in like 2004, maybe or 2005. Yeah, I, think, and I, I saw you. Remember with, that. And I saw you with thrice. It was mm-hmm. like a year before that, maybe. Like tw- yeah. I saw you twice within like a two-year span, in uh, mm-hmm. both in Boston and man, I I got I've been to a lot of hardcore shows, but there mm-hmm. was something very special about the those two shows. Uh, I want to say it was the one with Thursday in particular. I, both actually, dude. Yeah. And I was a fan back then, obviously, so mm-hmm. I, I showed yeah. up early to see you, and I was always one to go mosh and stuff. At this time, I'm 20 mm-hmm. years old, I'm at that age, but... Mm-hmm. No, both those shows, I was like, mm, I'm gonna stay back, dude. the The entire floor was just rumbling under my feet. Yeah. it was, it was, there was some very special energy with with uh, seeing your band at those times. I'll it's never, awesome I'll never forget. that. Yeah, no, dude. I
0: appreciate that. That was Thanks also that was music. also very uh, that was also very like special time for our our band and and more of a like popularity growth. You know, like we released You Come Before You and we're doing all these tours on Thursday, Thrice, Deftones, Warp Tour, when like, yeah. you know, all those bands are like ginormous, you know, or, or if they weren't ginormous, like it was like this upward trajectory that we all kind of had going on, especially us and Thrice and Thursday.
1: Definitely. Yeah, that's a very good way to put it. All right. So this is from Guillermo Atio. Atilio. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did being from Florida influence Poison the Well sound? especially during the later albums
0: oh man um i, I guess for everybody it would be a little bit different i'd say for me florida is a really i have a i have a love-hate relationship with florida like i'm really grateful to have been born there and been from there and I, obviously i had a lot of incredible experiences like joining poison well and like all the cool shit that happened with poison well was largely to do with living in florida in terms of like how it have, affected me, I guess there is a motivation to want to get out, which might sound very strange, but like, uh, some people want to stay where they grew up and that's their comfort zone. And and they like it there and it suits their needs. But for me, it, it didn't really suit what I wanted. Like for, like I said, it's no disrespect to Florida. And as if I wanted to talk shit on Florida, since I'm technically an old Floridian, I kind of can, but totally. it, it didn't, it didn't have a lot to offer me and what I wanted, I guess. And that's not to say, that's not to be like, you know, disrespectful towards Florida or anybody who lives in Florida. It's just, I wanted something different. Like I wanted, I needed more, like the the sort of flat, humid area that is Fort Lauderdale, Miami just didn't, it just didn't work. It wasn't working for me at all. And I was lucky enough, you know, pre-everybody traveling, like, you know, people travel obviously, but like I feel like as we've we've gotten older, it's become easier and easier to travel. Like if they've it's just been more accessible. Obviously, with social media, you're able to connect with people over the world. So it's like, hey, I want to come visit Tokyo. And like I know a few people there, it's way easier to do that. Or like, oh, I want to go to Europe, or like I know, yeah, I have some friends in Copenhagen, or I have some friends in Sweden. Like it's just easier to do that because we're all connected now. Absolutely. But back then it just wasn't as common. So getting in a van or you know, a mini, I knew the first time that I left Florida in a minivan. I was like, yeah, I, I was just completely mesmerized that like there's hills because Florida's very flat and seeing mountains and just like rolling hills. And like every time I go back to Florida, it was like, I need to get out of here. Like there's more out there. Yeah. And like I want to experience that. I want to, I want to, I want to have that as part of my, like my life experience. And especially too when I, we eventually uh, came west to play shows on the West Coast as soon as i came to southern california i was like this is it like i just instantly knew coming here i was like wow the the weather's fantastic and then you like go out and it's like beautiful mountains all over the place you got amazing beaches and you got an incredible desert like there's just all this really unique amazing natural you know things to do and just you've been out here you know it's like and it being a hub for music made even more sense for me because like when poison well we went on first our first initial hiatus it was like well, what am i gonna hang out in florida like is anything do i think anything is going to happen here ever again like i don't i didn't really anticipate like lightning striking twice so i was like well, i'm going to continue to be in a band or be a hired guy for a band or artist either i can go to new york or i can either go to california and i just knew more people here from touring I had more resources here and the, and the weather. It was the California is like an extremely nice Florida. So I was like, okay, I'm going to come here. So that, I guess the long winded answer was like Florida influenced at least me in the early poison Wall recordings that like, there's more out there. Totally. And to go out there and explore more and to see what the world's all about.
1: I love that answer and it's so uh, traveling is so important at least to me in, in my world yeah. man like yeah i, I want to see everything and go everywhere yeah. what did you do in that time during that hiatus
0: so i moved to california got settled here eventually i started playing with a bunch of different other bands Like, could play with like trash talk and since this pop uh this nice. pop dude named big black delta i started playing with george harrison's son danny harrison then i did like a little bit of side work random studio stuff for like friends bands or like just random you know people that would like hit me up and then more so recently I've been working with Greg Machado from like Dillinger Escape Plan, Killer Be Killed, Black Queen Uh, I've been doing his solo stuff like all his uh not all of it but like first record I tracked a bunch of shit then he did like a a live stream when everything was closed down or a stream because it wasn't live it was a way for him to present music and his the way that he does it I did all that there's some original songs on that we played a bunch of songs live and then you know, whatever kind of else is down the road that's going to happen, I'll be involved with. So
1: cool, man. So you just, just you stayed in music, you never left.
0: It's what I love, man. I don't really, to be quite honest, man. I don't care enough about anything else to do anything else. And I know that might hinder me in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways too, it'll probably be beneficial because it's like, I have enough experience doing all this. And I feel like I can, I have enough experience and I know enough people that like getting hit up for like more like old school, you'd say heritage artists, it's totally possible for me to get a call from like some, you know, big rocker dude from the 90s doing a solo thing or some like old dude from like the set. Like, like these are things that I've kind of experienced that some of the shit I can talk about, some of it I can't, or some of it I can, some of it I can't. I've obviously spoken about the stuff that I can, but there's been other things that like I can't. Like I've actually, I auditioned for one like extremely known dude that wanted to jam with me Oh, and I shit. had to sign a, non, a non-disclosure agreement that I wouldn't, I couldn't talk about it at all. Were you,
1: were you geeking so, out?
0: Ah, uh, I wasn't. But if my parents were there, they would have. <laughs>
1: nice. That's really cool. All right, man. But, <laughs> but just
0: yeah, just the the point yeah. is, just like I knew that I, could, I I stayed in it because I knew I could do it. I knew I had the thing. I had my thing, and my thing could work for stuff like that. You know, I
1: love it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I love that. All right, cool. All right, this is from mark robert watson who are your who are your favorite drummers
0: um it kind of depends man like i have like my staple classics like uh, you know, i'm a big dave Grohl fan like art like all the nirvana stuff and some of the shit that he did with queens uh and then i'm a big matt cameron fan like obviously all his work with soundgarden is is fucking awesome and those are like the main two dudes that i still kind of from my formative years of Of playing drums I'm still really into like you could listen to their playing now and be like I see why people care you know and it's not to disrespect anybody else in any of the other bands they're all great players but just to me those dudes really spoke to me and in their own like their own ways it just appealed to, to my sensibility for music and my personality as I've grown up it's become less about like one person but it's become more about what certain drummers do so for instance, like, you know, listen to somebody like Josh Freeze, like his Jack Hall trades, right? And he does all those trades really great. If I need something that's of like a bit more of like a freeze thing, then yeah, I'll throw in like a perfect circle record or I'll listen to him play live with Sting. And then you can kind of pick out certain things like, oh, that's cool. I'm gonna take, you, know, you take a lick and then you try to like make it your own and sound like your own thing and add your own flair to it. So that's kind of like my thing now. Like I'm less into like, dudes like I'm not like I don't look at one guy and being like oh my god he's so incredible even though there are really really incredible guys but it's more like I like what you do really well and I like what you do really well and like I just start picking out the things like the strength of these players like how can I take that and like incorporate that into my playing to make my playing better because I know I, I have my own sound and feel when I play it's very me you know for people that like what I do it's very distinct it's like listen like Ben Kohler from Converge when he plays, yeah. it's very there's, yeah. there's like a, there's like an anxiety, there's like the sense of like forward motion and anxiety that like, in other any other heavy music lacks, and I think that's what sets him apart because like most heavy dudes, like that play heavy fast music don't have a feel, but like what makes Ben unique is a feel, like he has a very specific feel when he plays, yeah, and that's what sets him apart. You know, even the way he hits his drums, it's like you hear it like oh that sounds like Ben, and that like. For any drummer, like I feel like that's the most important thing. It's like if you could hit a snare and you can hit a kick and you could play a beat or you could do something and be like, "Oh, that sounds like that," or like that sounds like like your thing is instantly instantly recognizable as you. That's fucking hard. That's not an easy thing. Some dudes just stumble upon it, and some dudes don't. Like some people are so good technically speaking, they can play all these styles, but like when they play, there's no identity behind it. And then there's guys like you know, like say like a Dave Grohl. Like, we play something like, oh, that sounds exactly like Dave Kroll because, like, his kick and his snare and, like, his hi-hat and, like, just the the way his feel or, like, when he bashes really hard, like, that whole thing, you know? Like, it's just – it's instantly recognizable. And I think that's really, really crucial, especially today where you have every virtuoso in the world, like, online playing. You are like, oh, man, their chops are crazy or their abilities crazy. But it's, like, when they play, you're, like, not hearing who you are. How How do I explain this? i'm hearing more of your brain moving but i'm not feeling you yeah you know I, where there's I, a lot of players that are incredible like you know they're just doing stuff and they're playing and they're not thinking because it's so ingrained. green but it's essentially their mind they're they're not playing from here
1: i know exactly you know? what you're saying man tucker rule of thursday aaron tate of uh, minus the bear i would put both those guys mm-hmm. in that category for me personally yeah. I, Chris, yeah. I, would, I would put you in there man you know like i Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I know exactly what you're saying, man.
0: Yeah, and that's just important, man. That's really, really important for, for music and having an identity. And then that identity, if you're lucky enough to be in a band, then that, that identity is, is something that, that becomes an element in that band. And if you take that thing away, then you're missing something from that band. I played in Fell forever. They had an original drummer and his thing was integrated into the band. And then when I was swapped out, it became a different thing. Because right. the, essentially the heartbeat of the band changes. yeah. So it just becomes totally. in like my, my where, musically where I come from is probably different where he comes from. And it just, it, 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 it's really, it's, there's something to be said about the identity of somebody. It's just being, not just being utility, but like being a utility slash creative or just a creative, like a creative element in the band. Like those guys that play super simple, but like their creative, their creative element and their soul is in it and you remove it and there's just this big void that's there
1: i like to well i think for me in my music taste like weezer is a good example of that you know pat Mm -hmm. from weezer is a drummer and that guy if that guy ever left the band i would notice right away even though he doesn't do anything crazy but i would know right away
0: it's his feel it's his his identity with the band it's his feel he's very understated in his playing but if you put somebody else in there it's gonna It's essentially going to change. I like you know? what you
1: said, man. It, Diff, different heartbeat. That's that's like different different, en, different energy. Perfectly worded, dude. I don't
0: I don't think people understand how important drums are, especially with heavy music, especially with rock music. Like, you, know, you remove Keith moon. moon from the Who, yeah. you remove Bonham <laughs> yeah. from up. Even Ringo, Ringo is a very right. understated drummer, but you remove Ringo, oh, yeah. his heart and soul is was in the Beatles. So it's it's this, it's kind of the same thing, you know. Those
1: are even better examples. Great
0: examples. Yeah. Yes. Three. Yeah. It's like Perfect things idea. that, yeah, it's things that like everybody from all generations can understand, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, man. I love that shit. Yeah. Love it. All right. Now, this was from Joseph Alvarez. You already answered these, so I, but I just want to give him a shout out. He asked, what age okay. did you start playing drums and how did how did you learn? You did already answer that. So yeah. thank you, Joseph. Uh, but just to keep it moving, mm-hmm. we got Philip Odashi, saw Poison the Well on Thursday back in the day. How did that tour mm-hmm. happen?
0: Uh just friends with those dudes. You know, we became friends with them. We obviously are, our bands musically are kind of different. We came from basically the same world. We spent a lot of time in New Jersey um throughout the years touring. Um so like it only was kind of like a, a natural thing that you know we would tour eventually at some point.
1: When I talked to Tucker, he I brought up this the same show I brought up to you earlier. And he was mm-hmm. like, Oh, those guys are insane. Like he he had nothing but love, you know, for yeah, for no, Tucker's great, love. man. He's 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 a homie. He's the fucking best. All right. That's a great question from Gareth Hopkins. New album question, Mark.
0: Not anytime soon. Never. I I go back and forth a lot personally because, you know, you have mixed emotions with something that you've been involved with for such a long time and getting everybody on the same page and all that sort of stuff. But I don't rule it out. And, you know, sometimes you might see a podcast here and there and I might say one thing and then another one, I might contradict myself. Another one I (laughs) might go back. It's like, I think, when the time is, if the time ever happens and it's right for us to make a record, Brian will come to me one day and will be like, I have some ideas and I think they're really cool. And him and I will start working and it'll just happen. But I think the idea of like pre-planning it and being like, we're gonna write a record and this is the time frame," and we're gonna like, I think it's just gonna be like, hey, we got some songs, okay, cool. And like, how can we carve out our life schedules to sort of make this work so we can put time away to like do it and then time away to go record it. and. We would never fully tour on it, but, you know, we'd put out something and play some shows around it and, yeah, you know, people would like it or not like it. I don't know. You know, like, I don't, I, I have no idea how it, even, how it would even sound to be honest, but I go back and forth. But like, if Ryan came to me and he was good to go and he had some shit, how could I not, you know, I'd be curious uh. to where we would where musically we'd be right now, because basically it would be like, um, we could do whatever the fuck we want really not connected to anything because our last record was 2009 so 11 almost 12 years ago traffic car was our last record so it's like we could do whatever the fuck we want like we can we could be as old school or we could be as forward thinking or we could be we could do whatever and i think could it put was, out if could
1: one song you we, put out 12 songs right you yeah do we, the especially you it,
0: especially today which people have people consume music they don't consume records Right. But it's still nice to put out a record if the record's good. Like, I think that if we felt like we had an LP's worth of material, then we put out an LP. If we felt like we have three songs, we do an EP. We have five songs, you know, we do an EP. We If we felt like we had two songs, we would do like a single, you know, like one song on one side. And how people consume, they just go to Apple Music or Spotify and they're like, oh, that fucking song is awesome. Boom. So it's not, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but, um, yeah, we could do whatever we want. And that's that's very liberating and freeing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, people got lives and they got shit going on. If it happens, it happens. But also too, if it happens, I can guarantee you nobody will see it coming. Like one day there's just like a post somewhere like Poison World release this new record and then people go listen to it. And it's probably gonna sound like nothing they expected. And they might that might make them excited or that might piss them off. But
1: that's you know, okay. If there's
0: one if there's one thing that can I can guarantee. It will be surprising, even to the guys in the band, creating <laughs> if it happens. You know,
1: if it happens, but if it if yeah. you put it out, you're not going to put it out unless you all love it, and that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know, I was just yeah. talking to Chris Towning. he plays Barrier Dead now, and he was saying a lot of the same things you just said, and uh, especially when it comes to how people consume music now, he's like, we might just keep putting out singles, whatever, just to stay relevant. It's
0: yeah,
1: but it's got to be natural. You all have to want to be in it for sure
0: yeah okay thank you for that
1: answer uh all right Mm -hmm. next question patrick clark what is your favorite song to play live i want to know this too
0: it probably something off the tropic rot because that's that is a little bit more in line with my playing now even though yeah it was like 12 years ago my playing has obviously changed as well it probably i like playing that song "Pumply moose a lot That's really fun. That song, cinema is really fun too, but it's really challenging because it's a fast kind of, it kind of has kind of a surf vibe to it, but it's a fast banger. But anything off off of Tropic Rock would be fun and enjoyable, but also really challenging in terms of how I am as a musician now. Like stylistically where I mean, like I'm not, you know, I don't really consider, aside from like opposite, I'm not like super double bass dude. That's never been like my thing. You know, I'm more pocket guy, like, musical chops like odd meters that you can't tell or odd meters like that's the direction that i'm kind of going you know like kind of matt cameron ish so something along yeah something closer to that i guess something anything off tropic rock probably compliment moose or like cinema uh, would probably be the two ones for the reasons that i just said
1: all right another fan question this is from josh grisham if you could Mm -hmm. tour with three bands like new or old active or not who would you pick you got to pick three bands
0: do, so, do they have to be genre specific, or nope. could it be whatever? Just pick any.
1: You could. It could be Britney Spears. Whatever you, whatever.
0: Okay. <laughs> for me, it would probably be, and they're probably going to all be for very different reasons. Mostly selfish reasons to be able to actually see those bands and see something cool. I guess the first one would be the Beatles because that would be really awesome to see. You know, if obviously yeah. two of the dudes that are not here were still here, that was possible. Right. to actually see them play some of those songs and pull them off live though with that being said I can totally go see Paul McCartney and see at least his songs played live like in a modern situation with excellent musicians but it's obviously yes. it's not the same as if you have the, the the four dudes there that's like that's such a big deal I'm
1: a thousand percent <laughs> with you on that
0: I'd say the Beatles I would say after that I would say uh, songs for the death era of Queens of the Stone Age that era lineup with like Dave on drums and like Mark Lanigan singing like in like the like that core I that would be one because it would just be cool to watch that lineup play those because obviously Queens goes through tons of different lineup changes and uh, a revolving cast of characters but it would be yeah songs era with Dave on drums and and uh yeah Mark Lanigan singing second vocalist third let me make this let me make this good Beatles, Queens of the Stone Age, and trying to think of some I guess I'd say Queen.
1: Oh like who would,
0: who would who wouldn't who wouldn't want to Dude. see Queen every night? Now obviously <laughs> you know that would be and amazing. seeing like yeah. yeah, just seeing like the Beatles play every night or just seeing Queens it's of the Stone age, age, like that era, or like Queen play every night, like watching those like magical, incredible songs, like come, like especially with Queen, because they wrote they were such fucking amazing songwriters. Oh,
1: incredible. Yeah. I love that answer, dude. That's fucking perfect. Yeah.
0: totally, totally off the cuff. If you ask me tomorrow, I might say three other different bands. You know, that's
1: okay. Great answer, dude. All right, David Martin, what's your okay. favorite sleigh bells song? Is that a hardcore band that I don't know about or something?
0: No, no, no. no. Slaybells? bells. So basically, remember I told you that the Derek Miller, uh, guitar player, sleigh bells, or yeah. guitar player, Poison Well. He helped. Obviously, he was a big part of Opposite Tear from the Red and You Go Before You. Well. When we stopped touring Ego Before You, he quit to go pursue Sleigh Bells. And Sleigh Bells is basically, it's him and this other chick, uh, this chick Alexis. She's super cool. And they kind of do like noisy pop songs, I guess, with like noisy guitar. I, it, it's very, they have a very unique sound that's specific to them. I would have to say, so just so just so you know who arts are. It's, and they, you know, yeah. he's been doing that for 10, 11 years. I got a bunch of records. I got like a super solid, great fan base. Like I got to check that out. Ass. Okay. Yeah, we're we're on we're yeah, we're all there's like no there's no zero bad blood between him and us or anything like that. We're totally like it's totally cool. But um what I was going to say is I'd have to say that I like that song. It's called And Saints, like and like A A N D Saints. I just think it's a really great song. I, I don't know what record I think it's not this past record, but the record that they put out before. I think it was like an EP maybe. It's like seven eight songs. It's a really cool song. I mean, you know, he's really great. They're both really great at writing cool, catchy, noisy pop songs, you know? Yeah, well-crafted stuff.
1: I'm going to check that out uh, as soon as we finish this up because yeah, somehow that missed my radar. Okay, well, yeah. thank you for that question.
0: It's kind of a different world, you know?
1: Lynn Wissett wants to know, what happened to the Poison the Well, a new kind of uh, American Saint split?
0: Nothing. Never came out. That should happen to it. Nothing. Absolutely nothing.
1: All right. Well, there you have it. (laughs) All right. Next question. I cannot read this first name or my own chicken scratch, but the last name is Valorio. What artists currently inspire you and what drummers are getting slept on, do you think?
0: Ooh, so artists, God, what would I, I mean, I'm going to have to do a shout out just because, uh, and I don't think that he's necessarily getting slept on, like I said, uh, my buddy, Greg Pachado, who just released solo. Like he's doing a bunch of solo shit now. Cool. It's all really great stuff. It's He kind of does a little bit of everything. And obviously I'm not just saying that because I play with him, but I think he's doing something really cool. Like it's a kind of a his own, you know, he just, like all of us, we like certain things. So you just take those things and you put them together and you hope that they're like compatible and you could turn them into good songs. So I'll definitely suggest him. Another, band. to be quite honest, I am 100% out of the new music game. So I think I'll just shout out shit that I work on. <laughs> just because that's, <laughs> that's what I know of at this point. I would say uh, my buddy Danny Harrison, who I play with a bunch, he released the record a few years ago called uh, In Parallel. It's an awesome record. He's a great dude. Uh, he does really cool electronic-y kind of scory type stuff. Uh, he also did, we also like, uh, did like a live record from Henson Studios that people should check out on YouTube. Super cool, super fun, like huge band, like totally awesome time. I'd say uh, Greg's other solo project, not solo project, but another thing called Black Queen. It's an electronic thing. I've had something to do with it in the past. And you know, I kind of had my fingers in it semi recently, played it uh, an ending of a song with them a few years ago in LA on, on drums. Um, cool. that stuff's really great kind of has like 80s 90s r&b vibe to it i'd say that like things that i've either played on or been kind of involved with just because like i'm so out like i'm just so not tapped into new music and that's my own fault
1: <laughs> that's okay man
0: and then drummers that are slept on i don't think anybody that knows really slept on but i mean I, i'd always have to go back to my friend uh ken shock who i don't necessarily think is slept on per se he's the uh, old drummer for Candiria. Um, He lives out in California and we hang out every once in a while and talk drums and the philosophy of drums and recording. And, you know, we show each other gear and he's, he's, uh, I kind of look at him as like a little bit of like a mentor because he always does stuff and he comes from a a very interesting point of view. And, you know, if you listen to some of the Candiria stuff, it's pretty awesome. You know, it's like very, very mathy, interesting, wide open. And not that I would say that he's per se slept on. It's just, he does, he has a different life and he doesn't tour and he's not really involved in that world. But I think recently he did a solo, a drum solo on uh, Between the Buried and, and Me. Sick. Like they put out a new song recently and it's like Mike Portnoy and Ken, drummer for Between the Buried and Me and then the old drummer for uh, Animals' is leader, the old drummer, not Matt Garska. He's, he's really incredible, but like uh, Naveen, I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but, they all take like little moments to solo and, and ken's on that um i would definitely people i would definitely suggest people check him out because he's just a monster a unique player but he's more old you know old, an old school guy he's just kind of transitioned to doing more studio stuff and kind of doing his thing out here so he's not like in a band so like if you're not in a band or you're not like classing yourself all over instagram
1: yeah it's
0: a little it's kind of a little difficult to be out there plus too, like when the trend is going this way, the wave of trends of drummers are going this way, but you have your own thing. If you don't fit on that wave, like your growth is way slower.
1: I, I like that answer. Let me ask you this, Chris, I, what is the most rewarding moment of your musical career?
0: Oh man, there's, I'm I'm lucky enough to have a few of them. It wouldn't be a moment, I'd have to say a few. I'd have to say, obviously the entire catalog, the entire wall catalog for me is very rewarding. Yeah. Uh, Certain records are more in terms of popularity and influence that are, that are very rewarding and very humbling. And then others are more musical expressiveness and trying to do something different and do something new. And like sometimes, you know, hitting home runs and then sometimes not, you know, like maybe it's a little too weird or maybe it's a, too le- too, a little bit left of center. But I think overall, the entire Poison, Poison Ball catalog is, is, is very rewarding in terms of musical experiences. What else would there be? I would say doing, like I said, doing this stuff with Greg is great because we're buddies. And uh, his record, he put out his solo record and it had like me, it had Ben Kohler playing drums and it had Chris Penny, the old drummer for Dillinger, playing drums on two songs. So obviously that's a, a great, you know, great company to be in. That was a cool, another cool musical moment to be part of. Uh, his stream after the fuck content stuff was great because like I said, there's a, I basically play all the stuff and you know one of the songs Ben played on or like two of them Chris played on and a bunch of other ones I played on so it's like to have to learn those dudes strengths and kind of bring them in and then make it mine was cool and we recorded some new stuff that came out really good on that too so those two records are very important in terms of just like me as a as a drummer kind of coming more to fruition within myself and feeling like I've come to a place where i feel very comfortable and i i know where i am and my strengths and weaknesses are and when something new comes along like yeah maybe a few records from now he will want chris to play on the entire record and it's maybe it's a little more technical stuff and well if i'm if i'm doing touring then i'm gonna have to learn that and that's gonna challenge me to be better so and then another musical moment i would have to say and this is i'm just kind of going off of like documented stuff uh Another musical moment would be uh, doing Denny Harrison's live record from, um, live from Henson. Like we recorded all in a day. So all, it was a bunch of killer musicians everywhere. Like Stephen Perkins from James addiction was playing percussion. And uh, my buddy David Rossi, who is like the string guy, like from everybody from like Coldplay to like the Verve to like that whole world. He's like the string dude. He was doing strings and it was like incredible band like it was a really cool experience to to be there and to play and to kind of home run all those songs and like kick ass and like just to be amongst like good company of incredible musicians. Those would be my moments would be Poison Well, all the stuff I'm doing with Greg and Danny's live record would be for me. Those would be like musical moments that I think about all the time. But I'm like, man, like it's really cool. And those are special in their own kind of ways.
1: Red, man. L- long
0: with, long-winded answer.
1: No, thank you for sharing that. And, uh, Again, Opposite of December, one of my favorite albums of all time, from the drum roll yeah. of twelve twenty three ninety three 93 to yeah. the very, you know, melodic outro of uh, yeah. My Mirror No Longer re- Reflects. That, that'll always have a special place in my heart. Yeah,
0: yeah that's awesome. I have a
1: final question, brother. If you were to give some advice, you know, to uh-huh. someone or y- yourself or someone, you know, from who's up and coming or yourself from 20 mm-hmm. years ago, you know what I'm saying? Like okay. knowing what you know yeah. now.
0: Yeah, like, yeah. What advice oh, would you have? Yeah. Depends. Are you talking about career-wise? Are you talking about money-wise? Are you talking about invest? Like it's like.
1: Whatever comes to like mind. Maybe both.
0: I, my, the biggest piece of advice that I gotten, I had gotten from a friend who he, who he had gotten from somebody very respected in music was that if there's an opportunity in front of you right now, don't think twice, take it because tomorrow that opportunity cannot be there. And I feel like that's a good piece of advice, not just in music but in life in general. It's like if you see an opportunity and it doesn't violate, you know, your particular morality or you know whatever sort of tenants you have or like whatever whatever like whatever your deal is, you know, um, take it. You know, as long as you're not killing or hurting anybody or doing anything like that. But if somebody's like, "Hey, I'll pay you ten thousand dollars to go do this thing," and you're kind of unsure if you could do it, but you think you could do it. You should probably go do it and see what happens. You know,
1: right? That's
0: but that's good. it. Yeah, it's take it there because that shit might not be tomorrow. And those moments like that can take your life. If you're if you you're kind of plateauing, it can literally you could do one thing and it could fucking take your life going this way by just saying yes to something and moving out of your comfort zone and doing something different. You open yourself up to a whole other world of possibilities. Where it's if like you don't take those opportunities and you want to stay in your zone. Not much is going to change. So that would be, that'd be a very big, not the only piece of advice, but that would be a very big piece of advice that I learned that I tried to live by. Like somebody's like, yo, can you do this? I think I can. I mean, I might have to spend the next month at my studio like learning this and like doing certain things, but like, fuck, we'll figure it out. You know, like we'll see where this lands.
1: All right, dude. Chris Hornbrook, this has been an honor. Yeah. You're a legend. Yeah, Thank, Thank you, you so much dude. for your time, dude. Thank you. And uh, yeah. I'm going to go listen to some Poison the Well right now. Thank you so much. You too. Thank you, Chris. Okay. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Later, buddy. All right, let's wrap this one up, baby. Come on. Yes. Chris Hornbrook, thank you so much. It was so cool to talk to you. Longtime fan here. What a cool guy, right? And, man, so Poison the Well is playing Saturday at Furnace Fest. So if you're going to be there, do not miss their set. And I believe, I'm pretty sure they're playing opposite of December, front to back. All right, let's wrap this thing up. Two-week notice podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. I got some really cool shit coming up. And if you got an iPhone, hit me with a five-star written review on the podcast app. It's the most helpful thing to help move the show forward. Thank you so much. I love you all. And we're going to close it out with my favorite Poison the Well song. Check them out on Spotify. Come on! Until next time, I love you all. Boys.
0: With all my set of sights, I could never swallow the idea of a happy ending. That's another day's memory. be adding